0: chapter 11 is where we are today. You know that we have been plodding through battle after battle with Joshua now for some time. We find ourselves in chapter 11 today. It seems that we turn on our TV and we see Israel at war. We open our Bible and we see Israel at war. It seems that everywhere we look, Uh, Israel is at war and uh, I have to say in the condition the present condition of the government of the United States of America I was very shocked to see us take the stand that we took but I was also uh, very pleased and uh, boy you can't help but think uh, this week when the United States pulled the Gerald R. Ford battle group into the Mediterranean Dear God, if I was Iran or Lebanon or Jordan or anybody else over there, I'd sit down and shut up. Uh, that's a significant projection of power. But nonetheless, you know, given contemporary issues, uh, this text is not that hard for us to conceive. Um, God has a lot of critics. Did you know that? He really does. And there are a lot of people who criticize God for the war tactics here in Joshua. I mean, you'll, you'll read this. And the Lord said, go in and wipe them out. And our text today says, there was no one left that breathed. Translation, kill everybody. And there's a lot of bleeding hearts today that criticize God. and Talk about how brutal he is and how merciless and those types of things. And first off, man, what type of, what type of, of um, attitude must you have about yourself if you think you are in a position to criticize God? Uh, but nonetheless, there are a lot of folk who do that. And when we find ourselves in that position, it's really because of one of two reasons. Number one, we don't have a clue about the holiness of God. Did you know that? And that is where those criticisms flow from, is a lack of understanding of the holiness of God and how these people were an affront to His holiness and how He had given them space and space, 400 years to repent, and they did not. And the second thing is, is not only is it a lack of understanding of the holiness of God, but it's a lack of understanding of the love and jealousy that God has for His people. You see, Israel was His chosen people. And He plainly says in the Old Testament that those people would be a blight upon them. They were like a cancer. And if you don't get rid of them, they are to pollute you. And we see that happen over and over again in the Old Testament narrative. Uh, this particular text, by the way, has something to say. I'm not going to get to this today in this last portion. I'm just going to preach first 15 verses. But look at verse number 22, if you would, before we dive into these first 15 verses. There were no Anakim left in the land. Who were the Anakim? That's right. That was Goliath's people. So notice verse 22, there was no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza. Yeah, you've heard anything about Gaza the past few days. Uh, so you get the impression, and again, this is, is a very clear stream through the Old Testament that historically this has been a problem. Uh, so it's it's no issue. It was a problem for Joshua, and it is today, so... Let's begin in verse number 1 and read these first 15 verses. Then it came about when Jabin king of Hazor heard of it that he sent to, uh, to Jobab king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashfa and to the kings who were of the north uh, in the hill country and in the Arabah south of Chinneroth and in the lowland on the heights of Dor on the west to the Canaanite on the east and on the west and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the hill country, and the Hivite at the foot of Hermon, and the land of Mizpah. They came out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all of these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel." Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom and attacked them. The Lord delivered them into the hands of Israel so that they defeated them and pursued them as far as as far as great Sidon and Miseraphoth Maim and, uh, and the valley of Mizpah to the east. And they struck them until no survivor was left to them. Joshua did to them as Yahweh had told him. He hum- hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Uh, then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor... "...and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor formerly was the head of all the kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it uh, with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them." Just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded. However, Israel did not burn any cities that stood on their mounds except Hazor alone, which Joshua burned. All the spoil of these cities and the cattle the sons of Israel took as their plunder, and they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. They left no one who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone that all the Lord had commanded Moses. Well, we see throughout these narratives, battle after battle, for the exception of Ai, because of of shooting themselves in the foot, we see victory after victory after victory after victory. And make no mistake about it, you know, there are parallels here between what Joshua did and the church. You know, our battle is spiritual. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but nonetheless god has called us to victory is that true or false i mean he really has and the reason he's called us to victory is because our victory was secured you know about two thousand years ago on a hill called calvary so we are people who are walking in victory should walk in victory all you have to do is read romans chapter 8 and you see that paul refers to us as super conquerors as more than overcomers because we are we have been given the victory and we should be victorious people but now for us just as it was for them the road to victory listen to me the road to victory is straight and narrow straight and narrow and long and on that road to victory there are many exit ramps and these exit ramps do not lead to victory but they lead to defeat. And in this story today, there were many places where Joshua could have peeled off of that straight and narrow and took an exit ramp, and I submit to you that victory would not have been theirs. There are many places today where you, on the straight and narrow can peel off on an exit ramp and your life is not going to be marked by victory, but it indeed is going to be marked by defeat and sadness and depression and destruction. So how is it that we can stay in the middle of the road? Let me turn that around today and speak to you on this subject. How to lose your battle. And I want to show you these junctures where Joshua could have peeled off And he could have taken an exit. He could have taken a side street. And it would not have turned out the same way. So how is it that we can lose our battle? And and hey, if if you've learned nothing else by being at grace, you ought to understand that the Christian life is a a life of battle after battle after battle. If you are not in a battle right now, mark it down, you're going to be in one soon. Uh, That's just the way it is to it and if you're not in a battle it's probably cause you're no threat to the enemy so he's not wasting any time on you but if you are doing anything significant that has eternal ramifications and significance for the kingdom of Christ I promise you the battle is gonna come I mean did you notice here that Joshua didn't go looking for this fight that these kings came to him that's just the way it is if you're doing something for the Lord I promise you the battle is coming to you and to your house. So how is it that you can lose that battle when it comes? Well, check it out. And by the way, just to be honest with you, I think we'll recognize how to lose more than we recognize how to win. Because it seems to me that we lose more than we win. I mean, is that just me? Is that just my prophetic pessimism coming through? But by golly today like the church in the United States is just doomed to shoot herself in the foot and live in defeat rather than living in victory and it saddens me so how is it that we can lose our battle well check this out let's just walk through this passage verses 1 through 5 underscore this fact here's the first way that you can lose your battle rely only on your natural senses rely only on on your natural senses and I'll tell you what's gonna happen you're gonna lose your battle now notice these first five verses I want you to see this why is it that this writer just piles up and piles up and piles up name after name city after city king after king enemy after enemy I mean if we were writing this this is just what we'd have said There was a whole lot of kings that decided they were come against Joshua, and that's what they did. But that's not what this writer does. And you know why? Because he's trying to put you there. He's trying to set you on the side of a mountain and let you look and see and hear and smell and feel just exactly what it is that Joshua and the people of God were against. I mean, look at this. Check out this this resume again. Look at all of these kings. And he goes one by one. Right, hey, by the way, y'all should have just clapped for me reading all those names. You know that? <laughs> I mean, that was tough. That was a challenge. My biggest challenge of the day just pronouncing all these silly kings and places here in verse three through 5. Man, there's a ton of them. But now check this out. Here is the coup de grace that he gives to us to try to put our senses in overload. Look at verse number 4. They came out, they and all of their armies with them, as many people as what? As the sand on the seashore. Now, how many was that? So there was a ton of people. Now, put yourself in Joshua's shoes and in Israel's shoes. If the enemy has outnumbered you by about 10,000 to one, what are you going to think? You're going to think what? By golly, we better tuck tail and run because look at all them folk over there. And they're not happy folk. They're mad folk. So we might as well hit the road because, son, there is a ton of them. There are overwhelming odds. There's no way we can do this because just look at them out there. There are so many. And listen to me. If you live this life and you try to fight your battles... Based only on the information that you can gather through your eyes and through your ears, through your natural senses, mark it down. You're a defeated person. You are a defeated person. Because no matter what it looks like, we got the upper hand in this thing. You know what I'm saying? But if you're not walking with the Lord, and all you're doing is walking by common sense, Then, friend, you're a perfect target to go down with the ship. Now, notice how it is that we can can be defeated if we rely on our natural senses. Number one, walking by sight. Walking by sight leads to defeat. Man, you see this type of stuff? And your response is going to be just what you said. We might as well give up, we might as well surrender, we might as well not even engage we might as well turn around and go to the house because by sight it looks like we've got very little chance. All right? But now what is the key to victory here when our senses are in overload and it looks like we're outnumbered by about 10,000 to 1. And by the way, you are. Did you know that? Huh? That's the reality. The enemy is proliferating while the people of God... Are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Did you know that? Hey, just the other night in one of our grace groups, I did some missiological stats and figures from uh, th- some of the latest research coming out from folk like uh, uh, the Institute for the Status of Global Evangelization. Do you know what? Uh, do you know what the percentage of evangelical believers are today? And the Bible Belt of the United States as, uh, as just a part of the population. Now get this Bible Belt. Bible Belt. What is, the, what is the percentage of believers in the Bible Belt of the United States of America? Anybody got a clue? Got a guess? You're right, Ernest. It's 10%. 10%. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We are no longer the majority we are not being 10% you know what that means that means for every one of us there's 10 of them and here's how we know that we're it's getting worse year by year because the church is diminishing while the population is increasing our evangelism isn't even keeping up with the rate in the United States of America so if it's 10% today guess what it's going to be in 10 years It's going to be considerably more because the church is in retreat, we're living in defeat, and the enemy is proliferating while we're diminishing. Now those are just mathematical numbers. So how is it that we turn this around? How is it that we, being the minority, win this battle? Well, notice, we walk by sight, that leads to defeat. But walking by Scripture leads to victory. Did you see that did you see the, the, hear the, the one verse that Melody read just a little while ago? Here's why it's so important that you know Scripture. And I don't care what your senses tell you, you have got to make a conscious decision that I'm not going to walk by sight, I'm going to walk by Scripture, because I don't care who says it. What God says is more important, more, authoritative, more more authoritative, and more powerful than anything any of the armies of the world could say. And Joshua, hey, number one is, if you don't know Scripture, you're a sitting duck. Amen. You're going to be overcome by, the, by all the information that is fed to you by your natural senses and by the news media, and we're just going to be cowering down in the corner somewhere praying to God that it ends soon. But now notice what this Scripture said in Deuteronomy chapter 20. In case we didn't hear it this morning when, when Melody read it, here is the verse that Joshua knew and he didn't flinch even though the odds were immensely stacked against him. Notice this one verse. Here's what God said to him. When you go out to battle, and by the way, he said this years prior to it ever happening. (laughs) When you go out to battle against your enemy and you see horses and chariots, and by the way, this is the first time that Israel has encountered that type of mechanism of warfare in this text. When you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid for Yahweh your Elohim who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. Friend, I don't care how many they've got. It can be a hundred million to ten and Yahweh, and I'm on Yahweh's side. Huh? I mean, that's just all there is to it. So how in the world did Joshua stare down all of these armies with mechanisms of warfare that he'd never encountered before, he'd never possessed, and come out victorious? Let me tell you why. You better believe it, brother. He knew God and he knew, knew the promise of God's Word. God give it, had given Moses this, this Word years before because he knew that Joshua was going to be standing there one day looking down the barrel of this mechanism of warfare and Joshua says thank you God for giving me a word and can I just stop and say to you hey listen to me I don't care what type of battle is raging in your life right now God's got a word for it and unless you know his word and unless you have that rhema that specific word from him you're gonna be a basket case I'll be a basket case Too many times I am a basket case out of nothing more than ignorance of God's Word. So check it out. The first exit that Joshua could have took that would have caused this great victory to be a stunning defeat was that he did not rely on his natural senses. If you're going to lose your battle, just go ahead and do that. Just rely on your natural senses. But number two, notice the next exit ramp that he could have taken. The next exit ramp on this victory is this one. If you want to take an exit ramp and lose your battle, then just misunderstand God's notable sovereignty. Misunderstand God's notable sovereignty. Now excuse me for tarrying a little while here today, but brethren brethren and sisters, this is where we are today in the United States of America. This is why Pastor Ritchie gets shot by people who have no clue of what they're talking about. Check it out. Notice this. I want you to see God's sovereignty in this passage. Look with me in verses 6 through 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time I... Who is the I? That's Yahweh God. This time tomorrow I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. Do you see that? Now, according to that text, who is going to do it? Yahweh. Yahweh. You're exactly right. You see, that is God's sovereignty. That means God's the one's in control. God's the one calling the shots. God's one who is ultimately going to supply the victory. Do you see that? Now, notice the tension that comes in because here's where most folks sitting in this place today don't understand this. I'm just going to tell you, you don't. Now, I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you. I want you to tarry here a while. Engage your mind, okay? Because here's what Joshua would have said if he would have been one of us. He would have said this. Well, God is a sovereign God. He said he was going to do it. So you know what that means for me? Say it. I don't have to do a thing. I can just sit down. Why? Because God said he's going to do it. But thank God Joshua was a little more theologically astute than we are. Because here's what Joshua knew. Joshua knew and noticed. Heather looked at my blank outline this morning. She said, why is there three exclamation points behind this sentence? And here's why there's three exclamation. Mark it down and mark it down well. Divine sovereignty does not negate human activity. It does not. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that you can be lazy and not participate in the battle. And that's where so many folk are today. As a matter of fact, over the last three weeks, you will be amazed at how many times I've been shot over this very issue. And here's what people say to me. But Dr. Allen... How can you believe that God is sovereign over everything, including salvation, and still be a missionary? Why do you go to Brazil? Why have you lived in the jungle for part of your life? If you believe God's going to call who He wants to call to Himself, why do you go? And here's the reason. Because divine sovereignty does not negate human activity. As a matter of fact, here's why I go. I go because God has promised us in His Word that if we go and preach His Word, He will call people to Himself. So it's a divine guarantee for me. And friend, I wouldn't go if I didn't believe that. You know why? Because if I didn't believe that, that that means that people's salvation is in my hands. Are you with me? And it means that heaven and hell literally hangs in the balance of how good of a theological salesperson I am. And if I can sell you good enough, if I'm smooth-tongued enough, if I can manipulate you emotionally enough, then by God you'll go this way instead of that way. And I ain't getting into that. Huh? God has promised that if we'll preach His Word, He uses the instrumentation of the preaching of His Word through His people to save all come to Him by faith. And here's what I hear folks saying all the time. Well you believe God's sovereign there's no sense for you being a missionary if you believe God's sovereign there's no sense in you being a preacher can I just say this listen to me if you don't understand these basic theological tensions then please do not throw your two cents into a theological discussion you need to go back to Bible reading 101 read a little bit of Bible before you ever try to formulate some theological position Because it's just not going to work any other way. Man, I'm so grateful that God is sovereign. I'm so grateful that it's God who does the saving. I'm grateful that it's God who does the fighting. I'm grateful it's God who does everything. Friend, it doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon him. But he does expect his people to participate in his divine program and preach his word to everyone who will stand still long enough to hear it. And that's just the way it is. We've always had in the Bible this tension between divine sovereignty and human effort. Effort, And get this, divine sovereignty never negates. Divine sovereignty gives nobody the right to put their feet up and say, well, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it without me. That is a gross misunderstanding. And if that's what folk think the, 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 the doctrines of grace are about, they have greatly misunderstood them. Man, that is a motivation what was it that motivated Joshua to engage his people in this war it was the fact that God said I am with you and we will win and I don't know any better way to put it than that I mean listen that's just how it is do not juxtapose divine sovereignty against human effort these two are not in opposition to one another They are not enemies, but they are friends. And they work together for the good of of, of God's people and for the glory of God's Son. That's just the way it works. Now, what would have happened if Joshua would have said, Well, that sure is a strong statement of God's sovereignty in verse number 6. I think we're just going to set out here and not do anything. You see the exit ramp they just took? And they would have been overcome they would have lost the battle. And I'm telling you that so many people today have put their feet up and they have hung their hat on the nail of God's sovereignty to the point that they're not doing a thing and that's why their life is in shambles and they're living defeated. Joshua didn't see this as an excuse for him to do nothing. Joshua saw this as the motivation for him to get up and attack the gates of hell with a water pistol because by golly Yahweh's with us, and he said he's gonna give them to us. And he did. Here's the best way I know how to put it together: pray like everything depends on God, and work like everything depends on us. And when we do that, son, the church is unstoppable. If you'll pray like everything depends on him, and you'll work like everything depends on us, they won't be an enemy. In the solar system that can come close to us. Now check out how Joshua did this. This is so cool. Divine sovereignty does not negate human activity. Hey, God had elected. Yeah, yeah, I use that word. It's a biblical word. I can use it, all right? It's in my preaching handbook. It says I can use it. God elected. He did. God had elected to give Israel this battle. That's God's sovereign right. Did you know that? God can choose to do whatever He wants to. That's just one of the privileges of being God. Huh? I mean, He just can. God elected, but Joshua used effort. Do you see it? I mean, notice what what it says. I will deliver them into your hands before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people with them did what? Verse number 7. Here was their response to this statement of God's sovereignty. God elects, we get involved. God says it, we don't see it as a reason to do nothing. We see it as the motivation to give it everything we've got. So God elected, but Joshua used effort. Second thing, God determined this, but Joshua destroyed them. Do you see it? I mean, God had determined it. God had already said before it ever happened. By this time tomorrow, look in verse number 6. At this time tomorrow, I will deliver them slain before Israel. So Joshua, verse number seven. And all the people of war with him came up suddenly by the waters of Moron, attacked them, and the Lord delivered them into their hands, so that they, so that Israel defeated them. God determined it, but who actually carried it out? You better believe it. It was Joshua. Do you see here divine sovereignty and human activity? hand in hand. Notice number next, God determined and Joshua destroyed. Next, put a T over that R. God marked it out, but Joshua used his mind. Joshua used his mind. Now check this out. I want you all to see this. Notice with me what the Bible says Joshua did. Verse number seven. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom and attacked them. Now here's where you got to know a little bit about Bible geography. What was the strength of these armies according to this text? What Say it. Chariots. That's right. They had horses and they had chariots. Israel didn't have that. So what chance does a foot army have against an army that's equipped with horses and chariots? on an open plain Uh, hardly any at all so here's what Joshua does these ding-dongs went up and camped in the hill country and where is it that that horses and chariots are totally ineffective in the hill country have you ever tried to ride a buggy on the side of a mountain (laughs) I'd like to see somebody try that that ought to be a new event in the Bonifay rodeo huh buggy riding on the side of a steep incline (laughs) so here's what Joshua did Joshua said, hey wait a minute they're all up there in the hill countries by the water of Morone. they are sitting ducks because those horses and chariots are no good we've just brought them down to our level let's go get them boys you see what Joshua did even though God had marked out this thing from beforehand Joshua still used his mind as a military strategist and he took the battle to them where their number one implement of warfare was basically ineffective so get this God's sovereignty is not an excuse for anybody to be an ignoramus God has given you a brain let me go further than that the Bible says that God has given believers the mind of Christ the Bible says that God demands that we love Him with our mind. And then I want to tell you, I hear so many people talk about, well, you know, I I don't know any theology. I just leave all that to God. Well, well, shame on you. That's like me saying, Heather, I really love your body, but I don't care anything about trying to understand you as a person. Huh? I mean, that's not going to go over very well, is it? Huh? Huh? No, yeah, that's right. Not for me. It's not going to go over very well. And so many times we just hide behind this willful ignorance that, ah, oh, you know, all oh, that's going to work out. I don't worry about all of that. Stop that. If you're going to be victorious, by golly, you better be a thinking believer. A thinking believer. And this is where so many folk fall. Man, I, I hear believers say stuff that an atheist philosopher could shoot a hole in because there's so many contradictions in it. I listen to preachers preach today and I think, dear God, I don't have to know any theology to to claim that heresy. All I have to know is a little bit of English grammar. And I can tell you that ain't right. Huh? It seems that ignorant people today are preaching to masses of ignorant people and we're relishing in the fact that we're ignorant. I just don't understand. As a matter of fact, now look, don't don't read more into this than you ought to, but here, here's what I saw. I was sitting in my easy chair that day watching the world news, which was a mistake, right? I should have flicked it to jeopardy as soon as national news comes on. I should have just flicked it to jeopardy because I know what I'm going to get. Well, here's what the, those bunch of geniuses said. They put two stories back to back. Here was one story. The first story is... Latest indications from Georgetown University or somebody who's done a bunch of research, they've come up with this. They said, it's thought that as many as 25% of Americans today are functionally illiterate. I I do too, Ernest. I think they're being conservative for one time in their life. But here's what they said. They admitted 25% of the U.S. population is functionally illiterate. That was one story. The very next story they put behind that one was this. A national campaign trying to get folk registered to vote. And look, (laughs) I just sat there reeling saying, Dear God, am I the only one who sees this? Why in the world would you want people who are functionally illiterate to make important decisions? But that's where we are today. Now look, I'm not saying you've got to be a genius, but I'm saying you've got to use your mind. God has given us the ability to think and be rational, and He expects us to do that, and I think He's going to hold us accountable for that one day. And by the way, do you know that the enemies of democracy... Here's what they said 200 years ago. When the United States was forming as a democracy... Here's what some of our staunchest critics who were opposed to democratic society and democratic form of government said. They said this. When you let people who are uninformed about political issues make important political decisions, you are only headed for disaster. And listen. In the church, we do the same thing, do we not? We let folk who stumble over basic theological concepts make decisions about the direction of the church. And I don't understand that at all. Joshua here realized that God was sovereign. Joshua realized that God had marked this victory out. But Joshua used the brain that God put in his head in order to secure the victory against the enemy while they were in a hill country where their horse and chariots were rendered absolutely useless. Isn't that cool? Look, here's what I'm telling telling you. There is no problem between God being God and me working my honey off with Him. There's no disjunct there. And I, 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 don't, I don't see the problem. I, I just don't. When, when you see it, it just kind of vanishes and goes away. But notice, number next, I've got to get through these exit ramps. Number one, if we're going to lose our battle, the first exit ramp is relying on our natural senses. Number two, the next exit ramp is to misunderstand God's notable sovereignty. And number three, the next exit ramp in verse number nine is to develop a false sense of security. Look at verse number 9. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Now wait a minute here. Not only are bleeding hearts sympathetic for the enemy that God said destroy, but there's a lot of folks, brother, especially, you know, it's hard for us. We love horses more than people sometimes, don't we? (laughs) I I do too. But here's what they did. God God told them hamstring the horses. Now, why do you think God would tell them that? Look, if you're the general of an army and you don't have a battleship and you capture an army that has a battleship, what's the natural thing you think you're going to do? By golly, now we've got a battleship. We're in business, boys. Load up these guns and let's blast them. I want to see something blow up, right? But no, this would be the equivalent of capturing a battleship and instead of using it, sinking it. Here's what they did. They captured all of these horses and chariots. They had zero. Instead of putting them in their arsenal, they burned the chariots and they hamstrung the horses. Now here's what happens when you hamstrung a string a horse. You cut that, that vital tendon in their back leg and the horse can go on fine. I mean, he'll be fine after he gets over the initial surgery, huh? He'll be fine. He can graze. Uh, he can walk around, but here's what he can't do. He can't pull a load anymore i.e. he can never be used against you because he can't pull a chariot so now why did God tell him to destroy these horses rather than build you a barn and start growing alfalfa why did he tell him that here's why because God knew as soon as Israel got horses and chariots they would start depending on horses and chariots rather than so God says don't even put this in your arsenal Render it useless. Hey, listen to me. I talked up front about the Gerald R. Ford Battle Group pulling into the Mediterranean Sea this week. You know anything about Gerald R. Ford? Just, Just the carrier. It's the largest carrier on the planet. Get this. The flight deck is seven acres. Get that in your mind for a minute. It took me most of this week to plant about 12 acres of winter pasture. It would have took me a long time just to plow the deck of that thing up. You know what I'm saying? That's a seven-acre flight deck. It has the most sophisticated technology on it that it can possibly have. It is by far head and shoulders above anything on this planet as an instrument of war. But watch me. Let the United States of America go ahead and trust Gerald R. Ford Battle Group. And I tell you, it's happened before and it'll happen again. There'll be a bunch of terrorists pull up next to that thing in a blow-up rubber raft and send it to the bottom of the ocean. That's just how vulnerable we are without God. Oh, listen, yeah, the Gerald R. Ford is human effort, but only God, not the Gerald R. Ford, not anything else is going to Protect the United States of America. That's it. And go ahead and let us get a false sense of security thinking we're the strongest nation on the planet, which we are. But son, hear me. We ain't strong at all if we turn our back on Yahweh. And I'm afraid that's the road we're headed down. We have developed a false sense of security. The Bible says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Some trust in nuclear submarines. Some trust in aircraft carriers. But son, here's our battle cry that we better get back to. We will trust in the name of our God. Check out what else this text tells us about an exit ramp. Hey, but wait a minute, guys. Let's bring this down on a personal level, can't okay? we? I don't think I need to be through with this false security thing. You know why I think it is that God doesn't trust me personally with a whole bunch of money? Same reason he won't trust y'all with it, right? Because if I had a whole bunch of money, I'd begin to get cocky. And I wouldn't need anybody, even God. That's why the psalmist, the proverbist, the writer of Ecclesiastes said this, said, God." Give me this day my daily bread. Don't give me an abundance that I will become foolish. But don't give me too little that I will be impoverished. Because people just have a tendency of putting their security in a bank account rather than in God Almighty. And that's an exit ramp. Listen, that's an exit ramp. That's an exit ramp that leads to the city of defeat. Check out... How are we going to lose our battle? Rely on natural senses, misunderstand God's notable sovereignty, develop a false sense of security, and finally, reject the old standard. The old faithful standard. And what is it? Let me point it out to you. Let me just bring it down real quick in these last few verses. Look with me in uh, verse number 15. Here's the divine standard right here. Here's what brings victory. Look what verse 15 says. Just as Yahweh had commanded Moses, his servant, Moses commanded Joshua. And Joshua did it. So here's the deal. This is kind of a divine chain that stretches from one generation to the next that ultimately leads to victory. And there's no way to get around it. Look here. God said it. Somebody heard it. That person who heard it taught it to me. And by golly, I'm going to do it. And you see, that's the standard that God expects of us. Rather than justifying why I'm not doing it, man, just maintain that standard and do it. And notice something here. Number one, notice that in this particular situation, there was no new word. Man, I'm so tired of hearing some of my charismatic buddies talk about God giving me a new word. No, he hasn't. He doesn't. If God was still giving a new word, my Bible would be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But here's the thing. Revelation, we say, is closed. This is God's final word. Now, here's the thing. Everything that you need for the situation that you're facing today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life is contained right here. All we got to do is know it and apply it, and do it, and victory is ours. There was no new word. God just simply repeated the old standard. Man, I love it when folk say on Sunday morning, Brother Richie, man, that hit me. And here's usually my response. Guess what? It's nothing but the old, old word. Because hear me. The old, old word is sufficient for every need that you have. That's why Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here's the exit ramp. The exit ramp is just neglect, reject, refuse, be ignorant of the old faithful standard, which is God's word. Notice, he didn't give Joshua a new word. He just reiterated something that he said to to Moses years ago. But notice something else that I think is cool in this. There is no word, and get this, finally, but stick with me for just a minute. I've got to flesh this one out. There is no better wisdom. There is no better wisdom. Because check this out. Look in these verses. Here's something that's very cool in scholars. You know, some people, I, I talk about using your mind. Some people are just too smart for their own good. Did you know that? Because I've got some scholarly friends, and I read scholars, and here's what they spend their time worrying about. They spend their time worrying about Joshua burned Hazar, but he didn't burn all the rest of them. You know, there's only three cities given in the conquest that the Bible specifically says Joshua burned. Anybody know what they are? Here's your trivia question. Number one was the first one they came to. What was it? Jericho. Number two was the second one they came to. What was it? Ai. And number three is this one. What is it? Hazor. He burned it. Now, why is it that Joshua didn't burn all of them? And here's what the scholars spend all of their time trying to figure out. How did Joshua know which ones to burn and which ones not to burn? There seems to be no specific word in there. And can I say to you, that is the magic of the moment and that is the situation in which I live every day. Because I'll face a circumstance and I'll not know specifically a a, a word from God that addresses it, but here's what God will do. God will give you wisdom if you're putting into practice the things that you do know. Huh? Here's a way to have wisdom. By the way, I love that proverb. One one proverb, God puts them back to back for this reason. Here's what he says in Proverbs. He says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly unless he think himself wise. The very next verse under it says, Answer a fool according to his folly lest he think himself wise. Now, here's what most folks look They look at those two verses and say, well, those verses are contradicting one another because they say exactly the opposite. No, they're not. You know what God's trying to teach us? Have enough wisdom from reading my word and being so familiar with it that you know the course of action to take in either one of these situations. Know when you're to answer a fool and know when you're not to answer a fool. And I don't know about you, but that's where I live. I live in that gray area most of the time where there's not a black and white word. But here's what I find. I find when you are putting into practice what you do know, what God has said in black and white, He lets you know what you ought to do. He let Joshua know, burn this city or not burn this city? Because there were some cities that weren't to be burned. Hey, check this out. Notice what Joshua said. No, i tell you what. Let's don't go to the end of Joshua. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, and I'm done. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 10. Here's what, the, here's what God was saying. Then it shall come to pass when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities, get this, which you did not build. Stop right there. If Joshua had a standard practice of burning every city, would that verse be true? It would not because they would have had to build every one of them, right? Let's go on farther. Look in verse 11. And houses full of good things which you did not fill. Do you see that? So don't tell me Joshua didn't have wisdom of knowing which cities to burn and which one to let stand because Israelites were going to come in here and take these houses that already have their cabinets full of stuff from Walmart. You don't even have to go shopping. (laughs) Ain't God good? (laughs) Listen to me, folks. The road to victory is straight and narrow. It really is. And make no mistake, God has destined His people for victory. The only way we won't have victory is if we blow this thing up our own self and take an exit ramp before we get to it. In Jesus' name, don't take the exit ramps. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would allow Grace Church to stay on the straight and narrow and experience... The fact that it doesn't how few we are doesn't matter how much we have it only matters if Yahweh is with us and we're faithful to him so God I pray that you are going to allow us to taste the victory that you have already determined that we should have I pray for those who are here today God and honestly just not living in victory I pray God that you would give them the ability to make a faith adjustment a mid-course correction if so needed and begin to walk that straight and narrow that leads to victory. I pray for those who've never been born again. Oh God, today, through the preaching of your word, would you call folk to yourself that need Jesus Christ as their Savior? I pray for those, God, who are not plugged into a church that's headed towards a, a, a victory for, for the kingdom. I pray, God, that you would call them to yourself. But whatever it is, God, that you have said to us today, may we respond to you by faith. And may it be pleasing unto you, which is our purpose in life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John is up.